Are you tired of hearing about mental health from a superficial view and want to hear about realistic views? Well, you've come to the right place. A space where healing is central, but also normalized. Join hosts Danika and Myra as we engage in topics around mental health and keep it real while also giving you the work. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. All right, y'all, we are back with another episode of Black Women Healing Podcast, and we have a very special guest today. But as usual, we want to go ahead and dive into a conversation. So I read this tweet on Twitter, and I really love this girl. She talks about wellness, and she talks about how, like, most times when people wake up, the first thing you do is scroll on their phone. And when you scroll on your phone, it kind of sets you up for your day because now you have all these thoughts that you consumed on social media. And it was making me think about, do y'all really think that the way you start your day has an impact on your day? Because sometimes I feel like it doesn't, but most times I feel like it does. So I'm curious to see what y'all are thinking. Donika, what do you think? Um, I think it depends on the thing. So like immediately I think, I'm like, what do I do in the morning? So I usually listen to music in the morning or I'll listen to a podcast. Uh, it's very rare that I wake up and like immediately go on social media. Very, very rare. Uh, but the times that I have, I do think it changes my mood. Um, so I think it depends on the thing. I'm trying to think of something else that, because yeah, so, sometimes I'll start off my day with a conversation, like say if somebody called or something, and I feel like that usually goes pretty well. But the social media in particular, I feel like that's the one that kind of has a lot of influence actually over your day. What about you, Myra? Uh, I think I agree, but I also think that I'm a person that's good at blocking things out. I don't know. I've kind of always been like that. Like I could read something and then never think about it again if I want to. And the same thing, like when I'm around people, I can be talking to somebody and in a room where it's really noisy and I won't hear any of the noise. Like, I don't know, like I've always kind of been like that, which is weird, but it just works for me. But I will say that in the mornings when I listen to music and dance, that has the most impact on my day. So I try to purposely like start my morning. So I usually don't like to listen to music, but I've been trying to sing where I listen to music and dance in the mirror. And I don't know, now that I do that, like my day is so different. So I don't know, I have mixed feelings about it, but I've been doing that lately. And my morning playlist, you know, I told you I have a morning playlist. I added some more dance music to it. And I don't know, it just makes me feel like I can go and do anything I want. <laughs> That's such a good idea. Yeah. I. I tend to um, do a meditation in the morning, which is I lie in bed and I just meditate before I start my day. And I kind of try and connect to the ancestors and, you know, like, so at this point in my life, nobody calls me in the morning. If like, if no one's, if it's not a four alarm fire, no one's died. I'm, I'm not specifically a morning person by on purpose. And um so I always have like that hour, which is just, I can do it, you know, I can just like start my day. And I have my daughter home from college cause she's doing college and her internship at home and she's on the other side of the house. So it's just like very, you know, I bother her more than she bothers me. <laughs> I'm still in that meditation. <laughs> meditation, yes, meditation. That needs to be a word. <laughs> it is a word actually it's like it's called a lying down meditation oh well yeah but meditation sounds so much better it is because it's like this like it is so purposeful how you start your day and just like breathe and like a lot sometimes it takes me back to sleep but it's all good yes I can imagine that way yep <laughs> 
All right, y'all. So as you hear, we have a special guest, Stephanie. I met Stephanie like five years ago and I've tried to stay in contact with her and she has a powerful piece of work that we're gonna share with you all, but I'm gonna go ahead and dive into her bio. So Stephanie is the author of Not All Black Girls Know How to Eat. It is her story of bulimia. She is a writer, speaker, wife, mother, survivor, and an advocate for healing trauma in your relationship with food. Over the past year, she has realized not my own and not without a lot of resistance that the reason I'm here, my purpose is to help people recover from the pain and self-loathing that leads to food and body obsession. If you want to know why you're using food as a drug, you have to put down the food to access your feelings, she says. She grew up mainly in Bedside, Brooklyn, youngest of three girls to a single mother. She spent years attempting to outrun her childhood trauma, denying that it happened and using food to cope. It started with yo-yo dieting, exercising compulsively, and focusing on perfecting her outside so that she didn't have to deal with how she felt on the inside. She had no coping mechanism and no idea that her behaviors with food were not the answer. In her mid-20s, struggling with bulimia, anorexia, laxative abuse, and binge eating disorder sunk into a deep depression. She sunk into a deep depression. So I will read the following in first person so that you get more of a feel of Stephanie's experience. So she says, quote, I wanted to die. Fear of confronting the reasons I use food crippled me. What if every negative thought I had about myself and my worth was true? What if I wasn't lovable or valued? What if the reason I had experienced trauma was my fault? Could I ever let go of perfectionism? Wasn't I supposed to shut up and suffer in silence? And how could I ever function without using large portions of food, starving, or laxatives to anesthetize my shame? Uncovering the reasons we eat is, important, is as important as what we eat. Looking back, it's a miracle that I made it from there to here because I had no coping mechanisms or a place to put my feelings. All I had was the food until it got so painful that I had no choice but to deal with what was underneath. My pain was the gateway for me to finding a solution. Diets didn't work for me because they're too similar to the trauma bully that controlled my life. Today, as an eating disorder trauma activist, I have tools to help me cope and access my feelings without binging. When I give talks at schools or events, people often share about their troubled relationship with food and the feeling of hopelessness after a history of failed diets. I wish someone had told me earlier that it wasn't an inside job. I don't care what you eat. I care that you get to the bottom of what's eating you. Getting to a place in life where I can eat without losing control was not a straight line, but along the way, I developed tools to help that don't include dieting and negative thinking. Life comes with challenges and food will always be the way I gauge my feelings. But today, I use that as useful information to help me get in alignment with what is going on and that I am unwilling or afraid to address. Being vulnerable is key to your recovery as is deciding that you deserve freedom and above all, knowing that you are worth it. Wow, that was very powerful. Thank you. Well, I only thing um, I think I must've said wrong is, you know, it, it took me a long time to learn that it was an inside job. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like you can't, it doesn't matter what's going on in the outside. It did, like, you can't shop it away. You can't make up it away. You can't pretty it away. You can't mm -hmm. dance it away. Like it's, it's just still going to be there sure. unless you deal with it. For sure. So Stephanie, at the beginning of the book, you share that you wrestle with writing this book. The book is now 12 years old. What do you feel writing this book has done for you? Oh my God. It's, it, you know, it, I feel like it changed the trajectory, the trajectory of my life. Like I'm, I've always been a writer and, you know, there's nothing more personal than telling your story to a bunch of people you don't know. 
and sharing your shame, right? Like, cause once you uncloset it, then it no longer has any power over you. So, I mean, I think that was the first thing. Second is to realize just how many people are suffering and how many people reach out and have similar experiences. And even if they don't have similar experiences, it seems to be the norm to have a troubled relationship with food. And so I really feel like I can be a place now where people can see themselves and to see that they don't have to, you know, live that way. Yes, um, I, as you were talking and also in the book, um, control has been coming up a lot for me. I don't know about, I, as, I, as I continue to have more experiences in life, I'm recognizing that I for sure love to have control over things. And so as we read the book, we noticed your desire to have control in your life. Um, and we all want control usually, that is pretty normal. Uh, but what does control look like in your life now? And second part is how did you come to this form of control in your life? Oh my God, I am so not interested in having control in my life. Like I do what I do, I live my life and I leave it up to like a higher power. I leave it up to God. Like I, like, like if I like something or someone or, you know, I'm like, you can, if I finish a project and put it in the world, like it's, it's just not up to me. Like control used to render me helpless. I would, I didn't get things done. I didn't finish things. I, you know, I just didn't understand how many levels my, my controllingness affected every part of my life. Right. So now it's just, I, it's just, I don't want control in that way. I don't want to control anybody else. I don't care, like everybody else has a God or whatever. Like I don't control people, places, things. I don't like, no, I don't want that job. Like I don't want the job of being, you know, I have a 21 year old. I do not try and control her. Like, I'm like, nope. Like girl, make, you know, make your decisions. You know, I'm here, but, but I, I just realized that that's not my job. My job is not even to control me. It's to do the best in every way that I can to show up for myself. And, you know, it, it, by that, by extension, I show up for some other people. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't, I'm not a perfectionist. I fired that God. I fired the God of perfectionism and the God of control because it did not, it didn't do anything good for me. It just made me miserable because it was like living, living it with your whole system constricted, right? Like, I just like talk about exhaling. It was a very exhale experience for my life to stop feeling like I had to control everything um, because it was, I just had that level of fragility because of all my trauma. Like once you experience trauma, you're like, oh, if I can just control this, then okay. you know I don't ever have to be traumatized again. I don't ever have to feel vulnerable to trauma. I don't ever have to deal with my trauma. And it's just kind of a lie, but yeah. I think that's really cool that, um, I don't wanna use the word cool, but I'm gonna have to use the word cool so I can't think of another use word. word. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> because you're talking about control before people were talking about control. Because if we're thinking about the pandemic, now people are having conversations about control and they're really struggling with control. And I think that 
it's interesting, or I want to use the word cool, that you've already had that experience. And now that we're in this pandemic and people are talking about control, and you already have the lens of I've already fired the God of control. I want other people to hear that. Like y'all need to fire it too, because I've had so many conversations about control and how people feel like they've lost it because of this pandemic. We got to let that go. Yeah, I mean, I definitely speak to some to friends of mine's, mine who have also had like a lot of recovery. And we felt like, oh, okay, there's a pandemic. We're like, like none of us were yeah. freaking out in the same way. Yes, you know, you get lonely, the, you know, it's, there's a lot of fear just cause you don't know what's going to happen. But the truth is you never know what's gonna happen. You I just know. think you do. I mean, in the pandemic just brought up a lot for a lot of people and, and, I do feel like I was able to navigate it differently because I have just already been at the edge of trying to control everything mm -hmm. and how like that, how traumatizing that was for me yeah. to control everything. And then you have this pandemic where the whole world is like out of your control. And I, and, and it's, and I've had way more work in this field than I've ever had way more people have reached out to me, way more organizations. It's like, it's like our nation is now suffering at a deep course um, cellular level because people, you're sitting at home having to deal with your trauma. You can't shop it away. You can't boyfriend it away. You can't, you know, busy it away. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, so people who, you know, have that busy gene where if I just stay busy, I don't have to deal or people who, you know, Oh, you know, you're always just there's a lot of ways that 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 perfectionism and and control come up. Yep. And in the pandemic, there's a lot of sitting with yourself. There's a lot of time. And, um, you know, it, it's teaching people that time can be their friend. Mm -hmm. right? Like, like, for some reason, we're being given this time. You know, the horrible side is people are dying. You know, we're having to sit in this like powerlessness over what's happening in our in our world, in our community. You know, racism is a trauma. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people are just like starting to come awake to things that have always been under been there, but they haven't had to like confront it. Mm -hmm. And there's the, like the like what happened in the pandemic is there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. Mm -hmm. so wow. you can't go to the gym and ex you know you can't exercise it away you know you, you weren't there was a period where you couldn't go running like so people were really having to sit in this discomfort mm -hmm. yeah and I, I did that a long time ago and it I you know I had no choice so yeah thank you so much for going into detail about that that word control um, and even perfectionism, which I think is another one that kind of goes hand in hand. Um, yeah, it's a work in progress. And I'm hoping that, I know for me, even listening to you now, I'm just like, yes, I need to continue working on that aspect of my life. And I'm pretty sure others will hear this and think the same thing too. Um, but so getting to the next question, in your book, you mentioned experiencing some colorism and being that your mom and sister look different than you. Are from you what role did this play in your life um like how did how does this impact you i have to say because my mother was who she was and you know she was 10 15 shades lighter than me 
Oh, I have good lighting right now, but she was 10 or 15 shades lighter than me. And, and, um, you know, hazel eyes, the whole, you know, the whole thing. And people used to have an experience about that. People would be like, oh my God, that's your mother. Those are your sisters. What happened to you? You know, and I was like, I'm kind of, you know, fabulous, whatever. And my mother used to come to me and say, Stephanie, people are ignorant. This is a holdover from slavery. This is not like, I had a very smart mother when it came to that. And she was, she just had so much rage about colorism. And, and she didn't feel at the top of the food chain because of the trauma she experienced. And she was gorgeous and, and felt that people tried to use her for her beauty. And so she was also very smart. So I feel like she was my perfect mother in that way. Now, in a lot of other ways, she fell short. But in that way, she did not feel like, oh, stay out of sun, don't get any darker. Like, don't, like she didn't have any of those issues. She was um, like, she was the kind of person who was really trying to work an afro. Like, really, like, like so I feel very lucky, but, but people did try and make it an issue. So it wasn't an, like, I always felt like that my black was beautiful. I didn't have any of like the, you know, I always thought that what's wrong with people? Like, like this, like, I did not feel not beautiful because I was, you know, 10 shades darker. Yeah. So. I like how you said people have this experience. You didn't even say I had this experience. You said people had this experience and I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so wonderful to, you know, to, to look, I'm, I'm in my fifties. This melanin is, is like all, it, it is a gift. Gorgeous. Right. Like, like, <laughs> like it is a gift. I mean, it, it's amazing. And you don't know that when you're a kid, you don't know that honey on the other side that melanin is going to be all like like I am I mean yes there's some sun shining in but I I don't have on a lot of makeup like I just have a little bit of concealer on and this is what I show up this is how I show up so yeah. I'm like ooh, thank you like thank like thanks like thanks God like thank thanks for the extra melanin for sure <laughs> So when I read about your fear of going to therapy because of your thoughts of, you know, what normal Black women do played a role, I'm curious, how did therapy play a role in your experience with your eating disorder and what roles does therapy even play in your life now? Oh my God, I love therapy. Okay, so first of all, I always say this, I felt so bamboozled, right? Like people go, oh, why would you go and talk to someone about, like, oh, why, like, why would you share your private experience with someone else like why would you listen to so like like we're taught at least where I come from I'm from you know I grew up under the poverty line in Bed-Stuy Brooklyn my mother was very smart self-educated so I had both and I mean there were a lot of educated people in my neighborhood so I just want to you know take that away and people really were 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 like you don't, unless you're standing on a street corner talk, talking to yourself, unless you have been certified as mentally ill, able to be in, a, in you know, an institution, then you should be able to deal. And I, when I went to therapy and found the right therapist, and by the way, it's just like dating, 
you might not get that you might like you might not get that right one at first you got to keep going mm -hmm. but when you hook, hook up with the right therapist you suddenly feel like wait i have 50 minutes to process through my experience and someone is listening and helping me to process my trauma in a way that is healthy and 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 empowering i was like I mean, I just literally felt like, okay, so we're the only people that don't get to do this. Like white people get to do it. Like other races get to do it, but we have to suffer because that makes us strong. Oh, I felt so, I felt pissed. Ooh. I felt really pissed. And now I have a lot of black therapist friends because of the work I do. Get yourself a therapist if you have some issues, get in there and let someone help you to navigate this because you don't, you don't have the tools. Yes. They have a different set of tools in helping us. It's like, I always tell people about the ACEs, the adverse childhood experience test that quantifies trauma. Know your trauma score. Don't run from it. Know it. You know what size shoes you wear? Know your trauma score. That way, when you know, I have a trauma score of seven or eight. Is it eight or nine? It's high. And, um, so I do know it. I know, I know, I know I have, a, I have a trauma score of eight, at least an eight, sometimes a nine. There, no, there are things that did not happen. No one went to jail. And um, my mother never allowed herself to be abused or she was never abused. Can't say allow yourself because it's just abuse doesn't happen that way. Right. But she was never in a, right. I never saw anyone abuse her. And so those are the traumas I don't have, but I have a lot of traumas and I always thought because I had one big trauma, like I had sexual abuse trauma in childhood, I thought that was my trauma. Well, you get the ACEs score and then you're like, oh, wait, what? Like, oh, I check, 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 check. I was checking all the boxes and I realized, oh, I have a, like, of course it, this was hard for me. Of course I had to find an eating disorder. Of course I had to find a way to cope with th this high level of trauma because my body is, is always in fight or flight mode because of it. So yeah, yeah, get yourself a therapist. I mean, it, it is a gift. Yeah, right get yourself a therapist. I had to ask that because when I first met you, that was like one of the first things you said. And I was like, lady, I just met you. <laughs> That's what you're saying within <laughs> like five minutes. But in our conversation, it made sense. And being that like, I haven't seen you in like five years, I had to follow up and just see what you were going to say now. And you're saying the same thing. So that says to me, y'all heard the lady, get yourself a therapist. <laughs> you know, it's also like, it's almost like putting your life on pause and thinking you can do it when you have high level, when you have a, above a four or more trauma score. And also if you have a sexual trauma in childhood or a physical abuse or watching your parents do drugs. Like if you have like a really intense trauma, that that one can be a 10 for someone else. Right. Right. So when you go and unpack that and realize, oh my God, I was just this innocent child that experienced more than I should have. Right. Because I have a lot of friends who have zero trauma. Like they do, they have a trauma score of zero. My daughter has a trauma score of one because her parents got divorced and, and we co-parented well. Like we're all, we're all like super obsessed with her. So I, I, you know, it's hard to be her, but <laughs> I mean that, I mean that in the best way. Yeah. 
right? We all have good boundaries. We let her live her life, but she's very well loved and taken care of. I did not have that. So, so because I dealt with my trauma, I was able to give that mm. and provide that and ensure that. So that's what happens when you deal with your trauma, right? Like you, and it doesn't mean you're going to get life right. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes, going to, you know, step your foot in it, but it's, you're going to have tools. Yes, definitely. In your book um, and in conversation with you, you talk a lot about not giving up on yourself. You talk about times being hard, but then you always talk about not giving up on yourself. And I felt that theme. And then it was interesting because at the end of the book, you said word for word, I did not give up on myself. Why didn't you give up on yourself? I, I want to ask that. I think it's like, I, I, I do believe that I was born with a certain level of resiliency. I don't know that I was born with it or if along the way I met people, I had teachers who were like, you're amazing. Like, I was always given just enough from the outside world to believe in myself, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I did have, I did have heroes, and I had people who, you know, championed me. Like I would write something, and people would be like, "Oh my God, that's really good," and I'd be like, oh, "Okay, I'm not a piece of shit." Okay, I'm, good. you know, and and now in my life, I um, and I write about this a lot. I have Team Stephanie. Okay, now get yourself a team. And just because someone shares um, genetic material with you does not mean they're on your team. Right. Right. So this is how I describe it. I describe it as like the ring of Saturn. So you're in the middle and that first ring around you is, um, you know, the, that's your, in, that's your team. Right. And then there's a second ring and those people, you know, they could show up for you, you whatever. And then there's a third ring. And so sometimes people from the first ring who are your, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say like, you know, they're going to die for you, but like, they will help you hide the body, right? Like, like they're going to, they're going to show up for you. And seriously, <laughs> like, like, and they're not going to, they're not going to um, co-sign in like when you're wrong, right. right? Cause that's what I need. I need, I need people to hold me accountable. I don't, I don't so much anymore. Cause I know how to hold myself accountable but I'm not trying to live in denial, mm. right? So my friends will be like, oh, so uh, girl, what, like, can we discuss? That? Okay, <laughs> you know, like that. So I've had those conversations where I've had to be completely um, transparent. And, and so the, my, the, my, people, my people in my inner circle, we're all transparent. Mm. Like I have people who were on the third, third rung and they are deeply in the first rung now. Like through this pandemic, they are like in that, they, they are my people. And so when I say get yourself a team and don't give up on yourself, it's also like surround yourself with people who don't give up on you, right? Like I used to, in the way I learned this through life and through experience, it's, it's like experiential um, information, right? Like I would be on the phone with someone, I get off the phone, I'd feel like shit, right? Like that's my girl, I feel like shit. That's my, like, okay something's not sitting right there or I'd, I'd or I'd be dating someone and and every time I saw them I was starving I was like oh there's no emotional like okay I'm, I'm hungry like this is not working so 
food is how I actually could gauge like who's on my team, right? Like now, like, and, and I'm a foodie. Like you gotta go eating with me. Like we eat, yeah. like we, we, like we eat. You know, um, my it was, it was my brother's birthday the other day. So yesterday I had like, I made like frittatas and, and, and French toast and I put the bacon in the oven. And I, yes, I'm a bacon girl. Like I know, <laughs> whatever. But, but um, you know, like, like we live our lives to the fullest. Like I am going to champion people on my team. Like I'm going to ride for you. I am not going to die for you, but I will ride for you. And, and that's, that's like, I'm your cheerleader. Like, I'm going to be like, yep, you could like, but so that's how you know if someone's on your team. If someone makes you question yourself in a way that's, that's not healthy. If, I mean, I have family members who are not, not, they're not even on the third word. Like they just are non-existent in my life. Yeah. Right. Because I, I don't want to explain myself. Like, I don't want to explain why I feel the same way I feel, why I'm not going to have a relationship with someone who sexually abused me when I was 12. And you are. I'm like, we're not having that conversation. Exactly. Right? Like, like you can forgive and forget because you have a different experience. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you need to forgive? No? Okay, then you have a different experience. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Or I value myself where I don't allow people in that inner circle who don't um, support me, love me, and and our, our team Stephanie. Here's my favorite story as a parent. When my daughter was seven years old, and I love to tell this story, so you may have heard this. When she was seven years old, um, we were going away for the weekend because I had stepkids, so I was like, oh, you know, this is gonna be a mommy-daughter weekend. So we went away for the weekend and we were driving in the car and she said, it was like the end of school year for third, second grade or third grade, and she said, no, second grade. She said, oh, so when I go back to third grade next year, you know, you know, and she named a friend who was very close to us. Like I, she's an only child. So like, this was a friend who I could always have. And I was like, we love this person. Yeah. And she said, well, when we go back to, when I go back to school, I'm not going to be friends with her anymore. I remember this. And I was like, but, but we, I was like, but we love her. You know, can we work this out? <laughs> and then she said, mom, she doesn't make me feel good about myself. Like she says things, she says things like they're a compliment, like they're nice. Like, oh, for someone so spoiled, you, you're, you know, you don't seem spoiled. And I was like, and she said, I don't, I don't want to be friends with someone like that. Mm. The, she doesn't make me feel good about myself from a seven-year-old was like epic score for me. Mm -hmm. Like how, how, like how many years old was I when I got to that? Mm. right I was at least 27 maybe 37 who's count you know what I mean like I was not seven years old and so that's why you go to therapy and work on yourself so that you are bringing kids in the world with high levels of self-awareness of emotional intelligence of and 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 you know it's not that they're going to get it all right but they're not going to put up with stuff that you put up with yeah oh Stephanie oh <laughs> you are speaking to us thank you so much that um that story matters a whole lot it's so many different pieces that we can even go in on even more you as a parent listening right um but the the underlining root of like when things don't feel good for us you don't have to continue with it exactly. like you don't have to 
and whether you're a kid, whether you're an elder, whether you, um, you know, in, in job positions, whatever, like you don't have to continue doing it. Like, I love that. Yeah, I have not, I, I have not been in like, uh, since I was 22, any abusive work relationships. Mm. Like, I've been in work relationships where I've been taken advantage of, but I was getting, you know, where, cause I was a ghostwriter. Mm. Um, and then that was like, oh, uh, you're being a shadow artist. You're going to have to quit this and take the leap, you know, but that, that paycheck of working for that person allowed me to do things for my kid that I needed to do. You know what I mean? That was like a payoff, but there came a point where I was like, oh, you know, I can, I, I can end this. So I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's not always like, oh, everything's going to be perfect. You're still going to have, you know, some shit situations. But you have to make sure that it, it you know, it's like a quid pro quo for yeah. you. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, just thinking of, a lot of times we do takeaways for our listeners. So like active things for us to continue practicing. And so we talked about a lot of different things today, but if you had any takeaways for our listeners, what would you say? I would say you deserve to not have, not have the weight of your trauma on you right because trauma weighs you down it's not about what your body looks like it is about the emotional spiritual and physical side side effects of trauma that you have to live with so it's not your fault and you get you you get to do it differently and i want people to know like it's not about it's not like like it's not about having a perfect life it's not about how you how it looks or how you look it's really about like what's underneath like like how does your heart feel right how did like how does your soul feel like what like are you living the life you want and i don't mean like the instagram life but i mean like do you feel good to wake up in the morning so so i think like if you do some work you can't like you can and I don't think we have to be apologetic about it, about self-care. Right, Stephanie, thinking of that, do you have any go-to resources that you uh, would love to, you know, suggest to us? Oh my God, I'm, I, I've read every, in my 20s and early 30s, I read every self-help book. Like I'm, I'm, I grew up in the Oprah generation, right? So I was like, okay, that book, that book. I, there's so many what what you know if you're suffering from an eating disorder i'm on the board of um anad the um association for um anorexia and other eating disorders and so i there's they're a resource in terms of giving you a community mm -hmm. right so you can go to feast f-e-a-s-t that I, that's an acronym and that's for families of people struggling you can go to a 12-step program, overeatersanonymous.org. That's, you know, local, free, on Zoom. Um, so my, I have a lot of resources. I, um, you know, I, it changes for me. It changes. It, it really does. So fi like meditation, you know, I, I, I try not to promote things that I can't really stand behind. Mm -hmm. um, but books are your friend. 
Books are friends. Books are your friend. Like, <laughs> I have a ton of books that are, you know, that that I just go to. I know I'm going to remember like a bunch of stuff when I get off with you guys, but, um, you know, we live in California, so we're lucky in the sense that we can go to the ocean, mm. right? But, yes. you know, I would say a nice bath is a resource. Mm-hmm. You know, a journal is a resource. Uh, there's, um, oh, for therapy, places like the Maple Center or Southern California Counseling Center, they have sliding scales. When at, at the height of, of my therapy, I went there and I think I paid $10 twice a week. Nice. I was desperate and I wound up staying with that therapist when she went into private practice for six years. So I really, really had, um, you know, some, some gifts given to me. Well, thank you, Stephanie. We really enjoyed you. And I'll be emailing you because I've published a book and I have to share it with you. So Ooh, okay. I have to send it to you. So we'll be in contact and we want to thank you again for your time today. Ladies, you guys had great questions. I'm super impressed because I do a lot of these and, <laughs> and, and um, this was fun and I'm just proud of you both. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Y'all, I really enjoy Stephanie. Stephanie knows I love her, so I had to have her come on. You know, to wrap up our uh, episode, I wanted to talk about things that we're enjoying lately. So I recently discovered the J.I.L. podcast. It's Jill Scott's podcast with, um, what is the name of that group? It's a group and it's a husband and a wife. I cannot think of their name. Oh my gosh, and I love this group. Anyway. It's this group. It's a husband and a wife. They make Kindred Soul. So Kindred Soul, the wife from that, Jill Scott, and then this other lady, they all have a podcast together. And similar to Aisha's podcast, they talk about sisterhood and they talk about it in different realms of their life. And this podcast, I literally wake up and go to sleep listening to it. It is so good. And Jill Scott's perspective is just dope. And I love how her friends don't always agree with her. Like they yeah. always have their own perspective. You listen to the podcast too? Yep. It is so freaking good. I love that podcast. Yeah. So that's in my jam. And then I don't know if y'all are familiar with Scotty Beam, but Scotty Beam is really popular in New York. And her podcast with her best friend is really good too. It's called Okay Now Listen. And they only have one episode so far, but they have like a really open, raw, honest conversation about um, self-esteem in their body. And I love hearing conversations like that that don't feel fake. So that is my jam. In the last podcast I've been listening to, y'all have been on this podcast wave with Black women. When if I see Black women in a podcast, I'm listening to it. The mm-hmm. other one is the Vixen Diaries. And y'all don't tease me, but I love Vixen stuff when it comes to like early 2000s music videos. I'm a Corinne Stephens fan, whatever. Um, so this podcast, they talk about different eras of how video Vixens have shown on Black women in particular. So they even go all the way back to the 1920s, 1930s, Ooh. 1940s. And they give you a perspective of Black women have always been out there, always looking bomb, have always been on the scene. But I don't really talk about it so we're gonna talk about in this podcast so I love that podcast too and they also have a book club they have free books that they send out um I believe it's like every other month and then they go live on Instagram and talk about it so I thought that was pretty cool and unique 
Donika, what about you? What you been listening to or watching lately? Um, so yeah, I think that uh, it's a few different things. So for the podcast, interesting enough, I've been listening to old episodes of The Read. So The Read is a you know a pretty popular podcast. Um, I think that is it's interesting listening to it because you know they talk about like popular culture and like hot topics, and they do it in such a funny way. So it's hilarious. Um, and when I first listened to it a long time ago, I really couldn't get into it. But for some reason lately, it's been my, and it's long, so it takes you a minute. It takes me like a whole week to listen to one episode. So I've been listening to that. And, you know, just, it, it does. It helps you stay up on popular culture. It's that something you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, like, I, I've been getting back into, like, daily devotionals. It's this one called um, Believing believing bigger believing in bigger by uh marshawn evan daniels and so the devotionals they always tricky for me because you know you're supposed to do them like every day and sometimes you can get off track but when i do them i feel amazing it's just a really nice way to you know use scripture to reflect on what's kind of happening for you so i've been doing that and then very recently when it comes to what i've been watching i've been watching vampire diaries which yes uh (laughs) i didn't know you were into that (laughs) <laughs> I, I had been, I watched The Magician on Netflix and it kind of went made me go on this loop of like dang I miss stuff like that like I, this movie called Van Helsing have you ever watched that Van Helsing Mm-mm. it's like a movie about vampires and all that stuff and oh my, okay like, I usually love movies like that so I'm like let me just watch a little show and my friend was like girl you gotta watch this one first because they got the originals and they got all these different oh other you talking about this I'm like I'm not watching yes. <laughs> and so I've been diving into that and it's getting juicy um so yeah I've been doing a few different little things lately but I've been feeling good yeah, yeah. okay that's good to hear so y'all have probably seen on our Instagram that we recently dropped these mugs and we want y'all to go ahead and check them out they're dope they look even better in person I know they look good in the pictures and the videos but they look even better in person you're gonna want to use it all the time I mean I use mine all the time. So go ahead and check those out. The link is in our bio. And be sure to tune into next week's episode of Black Woman Healing Podcast. And we want to thank you for being a dedicated listener.